Hello, and thank you for tuning in to the Central Church of Christ podcast. We're so glad you've joined us today. Just as a heads up, we are holding in-person services every Sunday at 10.30 a.m. Also, if you'd like to join us for a to-go meal, we are serving those every Wednesday through our Bread of Life Cafe at 5.30 p.m. If you'd like to get more connected to our church, feel free to email centralchurch1 at gmail.com or call us at 513-481-5820. We look forward to hearing from you. And now, let's get back to the podcast. Kids, you can head downstairs. What a beautiful morning so far. Am I right? Like, we've had the scriptures read to us, we took communion together. I mean, praise God. If we do nothing else every Sunday, then we're doing something right. So I'm praising God. I don't know about you, but it's been an amazing morning so far. Thank you to everybody who has stepped up and done something for us uh, to remind us that this is all about Jesus. So today we are once again continuing through the Gospel of John. And today's message is called Believe Moses, Believe Jesus. This is a message that is primarily about belief. If you get anything else out of this, I want to talk to you about belief. It's one of those key words, this idea of belief that courses through the the Gospel of John. Belief is one of those key phrases. It comes from the Greek word that's the same in the verb form as faith. Faith and belief are actually interchangeable in English because it comes from the same Greek word, pistuo. So today's message is about belief. So if I talk to you about belief and you think about believing in Jesus in particular, you'll notice something. In our society, the number of self-proclaimed Christians is steadily decreasing. Like it's not even happening on a small level. Like this is happening not gradually, but steadily. It's happening consistently. And if you think about this, like the polls are in, like surveys have been taken. There are more people, more and more that are saying I'm not affiliated with any religion than there are people who say I am a Christian. The rates are just changing rapidly. And you have to ask the question, is something happening to our belief culturally? Is there a belief crisis in other words? That's the big question I want to ask you today is, is there a belief crisis in our culture? If there is, what do we do about it? Is there a belief crisis? That's the big question, but first, before we even get there, I wanna tackle a little bit about what's going on in this passage to inform how we address the question of our day. So, Gospel of John first. In this passage, we realize that Jesus makes this bold statement that Moses wrote about Jesus. In other words, if you believed Moses, you would believe Jesus. That's the bold statement that he makes in this narrative. In fact, let me read it to you one more time. 
and he's talking to the religious leaders, by the way. It's the same people he was talking to earlier in chapter 5. He says, Do not suppose that I will accuse you before the Father, because earlier Jesus mentions that judgment has been handed over to him by the Father. The one who accuses you is Moses, in whom you have placed your hope. If you believed Moses, you would believe me, because he wrote about me. But if you do not believe what Moses wrote, how will you believe my words? I mean, talk about a bold statement. Jesus says that Moses wrote about him. Now, any first century Jewish person is going to think about what Moses wrote. 99% of the time, they're going to think back to the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, the Torah. They're going to think Genesis through Deuteronomy as what Moses was responsible in their minds for writing. Here's the question, though. Did Moses ever write about or predict the arrival of Jesus of Nazareth? Did he ever write? Did Moses ever personally write about or even predict that Jesus would come and accomplish what he accomplished? It's a rhetorical question. I'm not going to give you a specific answer because I want to transform it a little bit. But the question of Moses writing about Jesus comes down to this. I mean, in Deuteronomy, what happens is we get this mention of this guy named Joshua who shares the same Hebrew name as Jesus, but he's not talking about Jesus of Nazareth. He's talking about the guy who's going to take Moses' leadership after Moses dies and continue into the promised land. He's not talking about Jesus of Nazareth. So he never specifically writes about Jesus. Does he predict the arrival of Jesus of Nazareth? And this is what I want to transform a little bit. I don't like looking at the Old Testament as predicting events of the New Testament. I don't like the word predict. And maybe that's just my personal preference, but I would rather say that the Old Testament and its events prefigure the events in the people of the New Testament, especially the revelation of Jesus. The, the Old Testament prefigures in other words, it sets the stage for what will happen in the New Testament, but it's not like a fortune teller. I think a lot of people look at the Old Testament like, oh, it's, it's a bunch of fortune tellings about when Jesus will come and what he will do. The problem with that is the people living in the Old Testament times weren't thinking that way. They wouldn't have looked at what we call prophecies and said, yeah, like that's talking about Jesus coming, you know, 500 years later they probably weren't thinking that way. What they might have seen, though, is that it was almost like looking into a fog and that God was going to do something through these prophecies. And Jesus' arrival ends up being this shock and a surprise, which is why people are constantly upset with him, because he doesn't fit the bill of their interpretation. But Jesus, no less, fulfills what Moses set out to do. So I'm going to read you a quote from one of my favorite New Testament scholars, uh, Richard Hayes. He says this, We are called to a reading backwards that reinterprets Scripture, in other words, the Old Testament, in light of a new revelation imparted by Jesus and focused on the person of Jesus himself. So let me just break that down for you real quick. To figure out the question of did Moses write about Jesus, we have to look at this. 
what Richard Hayes is arguing and what I would wholeheartedly agree with is you look at the events in the New Testament and you're forced to reread the Old Testament in light of what Jesus did. It gives us a fresh understanding of the Old Testament. It's not about reading forwards from the Old Testament to the New Testament, but it's really about looking at the New Testament and reading backwards and then reading forwards. So I'm going to break this down into a three-stage process for you. So this passage will really reveal to us three stages of what Jesus really wants us to do that's faithful and good and ultimately going to give us life and not death. Step, whoops, okay. The, uh, the slides got ahead of me a little bit, but step one is we come to Jesus for life. Let's see if we can get back to that. Yeah, step one, we come to Jesus to receive life. Chapter five has this moment where this man's been paralyzed for like 38 years, and he's waiting for somebody to lower him into a pool so that he might be healed. And Jesus, you know, just says, pick up your mat and walk. You don't need to go into that pool. And he does it. And it leads to this whole controversy of do you do any work on the Sabbath? But the idea is that we believe Jesus. That's the first step every time. Whether you're coming to the Bible or you're trying to figure out something in life, this step has to come first. We come to Jesus to receive life. And that's going to be really important because the religious leaders skipped this step. They were skeptical of Jesus and his claims. They were like, uh, nope, we've read Moses. There's no way you got this right. But Jesus insists that we have to come to him first in order for the rest of it to fall into place. So come to Jesus to receive life is step one. Step two, reread Moses in light of your encounter with Jesus. So you come to Jesus, you receive life, then you read Moses. One of the most common things I get from my friends who are just skeptical of Christianity, and I, I get it, like there are reasons that might make you uncomfortable with some of the things in the Bible. If there are passages in the Bible that don't make you uncomfortable, you're not reading it. <laughs> That's my only thought there. But there are things in the Bible that make you uncomfortable, especially the Old Testament. There's these moments where Israel comes in and conquers a people and just utterly decimates them. I mean, just that alone might make you question, is this a good God? But what Jesus is claiming here is that in order to understand Moses the way he was meant to be understood, and when I say Moses, I'm talking about the first five books of the Bible, but in order to understand Moses and the rest of the Old Testament, you have to come to Jesus first and then reread those scriptures in light of that encounter. Step three, after you've reread Moses in light of that encounter, look to Jesus with your fresh reading of the Old Testament in a new depth, with a new appreciation, with a new gratitude. Like, there's reasons to be scared when you read the Bible and say, like, I just don't know if this is right or moral or good. 
Bible is filled with all sorts of terrifying moments. The Bible is filled with controversial moments. And by the way, reading after your encounter with Jesus doesn't necessarily make those questions go away. It might make those questions pop up even more. But the bold claim that Jesus is making is that he is the God of the Old Testament. The creator, the God of Israel, the God of the covenant, the God who gave the law. He's the very same God. So you look at Jesus and you say, well, he's friendly, he's cool, he's nice. But then I go and read the Old Testament and it's like, this God seems kind of like not like Jesus. But Jesus wants us to go through the tension of that. Not to just throw up our cards and say, well, I can't make sense of it, so I'm going to bail on it. But he's asking us to bring those questions with that encounter with Jesus and then read the Old Testament in light of that. Jesus does not distance himself from the God of the Old Testament. I think a lot of Christians today are ashamed of the God of the Old Testament. I don't know why. But Jesus does not distance himself from the Old Testament. He's not saying, you know what? Cut out that part of your Bible and just ditch it. He's saying, you know what? I'm the fulfillment of that. Jesus is precisely the fulfillment of that. And he doesn't want us to distance ourselves from the Old Testament, but to reread it in light of an encounter with Jesus, the only one who gives life. So in the first century and today, people are inclined to believe that they can skip the first step, that they don't need to come to Jesus for life, and that everything will be fine. So I'll just say this about Bible reading first. If you think you can understand the depths of the Bible without a relationship, an encounter with Jesus, I mean, good luck. I wish you good luck, but I don't think it's possible. I'm not saying this from a high and mighty place. I'm saying this from experience. There is no understanding the depths of the Bible, or at least scratching the surface of it even, without an encounter with Jesus. I know there's so many questions around this, and if you're in this room and you're skeptical about it and you have a lot of questions, like, don't run away from this place. Don't run away from these people. Bring those questions. Because the other thing you have to know is that Jesus, the same one that we have to come to for life, also gave us the church. He gave us each other. Christianity is not a religion of the individual. Christianity is a relationship with God and with his people. You cannot read the Bible on your own and have that be enough. You have to read it in community. You have to read it in the church context, which is why we read the Psalms, which is why we read the Gospels together. So Bible reading, we can't really understand the depths of this without an encounter with Jesus. But I also want to say that you're not going to achieve a full understanding of the Bible. There are people with PhDs who have only just scratched the surface of what this book is and does. So don't think that you're going to have all the answers. That's not it. If that's your goal, like 
you're more influenced by the scientific method than you are by desire to know God more. And I'm not against the scientific method. I'm only saying that there's more to this than your mind. This is a heart issue. So come to Jesus. But also, this speaks to our lives. People think, and this is probably more relevant to me, I don't know about you, but people think, including myself, that I can skip this whole encounter relationship with Jesus and figure out the problems of life on my own. And the biggest area I see this come out in is prayer. I mean, I just want to be vulnerable with you. Like, how many of us, because I'm certainly guilty of this, how many of us are, I will pray at meals, and if I think of it, I'll pray before bed. And that's not an accusatory thing. I'm actually I'm just wondering if, if I'm the only one who's ever been through that before. But prayer doesn't have to be like that because prayer is a constant connection to the Holy Spirit of Jesus. Paul asks us to be in constant prayer, to pray without ceasing. And who are we to think that we can do life without God? How can we do this without a hunger for God? So hungry for more of Jesus that we might skip a meal. But we can't skip the first step. Just as the religious leaders thought that they could skip the first step, and believe me, they were experts in the law. They know the Old Testament better than any of us in this room. Flat out, they did. And, they, and it's just the reality. They knew it better than we do. But they weren't fine. Just as we're not fine without Jesus. That's the point Jesus is trying to make. You can read Moses all you want, but Moses is going to end up accusing you because you don't believe the full extent of what he was saying. And Jesus is saying that he is the fulfillment of the full extent of what, Jesus, of what Moses was saying. So today, is something happening to belief in our culture? Like, we say we believe in Jesus, but do we really? Is Christianity losing in our context in light of these surveys and these polls that show that Christianity as a cultural phenomenon is decreasing, quantitatively speaking, in terms of numbers? Christianity is decreasing. The statistics are in. Like, is, but is Christianity losing? Is Christianity like without hope? And I'm going to read this long slide that I made maybe twice to hopefully make the point. Christianity or following Jesus isn't losing. God is revealing a remnant of faithful followers of Jesus who are tired absolutely tired of Christianity being a mere cultural identity and instead seek to embody the actual work of God in Jesus through his spirit to bring the good news of salvation to the world. 
I know that's a, that's a mouthful, but let me read it one more time because every word I feel like needs to be said and heard and received. Christianity isn't losing, but God is revealing a remnant of faithful followers of Jesus who are tired of Christianity being just a cultural identity and instead seek to embody the actual work of God in Jesus through His Spirit to bring the good news of salvation to the world. For a long time, one of the things I have baggage with, and again, I want to be vulnerable, I want to be transparent. I've heard so many times people say, like, Western countries, including the United States, are generally just Christian countries. And I have baggage with that, to be honest with you, because there's no such thing as nominal Christianity that equals faithful Christianity. Like, calling myself a Christian does not necessarily equal faithful follower of Jesus. I grew up in a nominally Christian context. I went to a church where pretty much everybody said, yeah, I'm a Christian, but I don't really care beyond just saying that and maybe letting the census know that that's the religion I identify with. That's what I mean by cultural identity of Christianity. Is like, yeah, I'll, I'll put that on a survey, but I don't really do with anything with it other than that. And frankly, maybe this is just me, but I'm tired of that passing for the picture of what the church is, for the picture of what you and I are. I don't know about you, but that's exhausting just to watch that. It's exhausting. For people just to go out into the world and say, hey, I'm a Christian, but I don't really care about holiness. Or I'm a Christian, but I don't care about unity. That's not belief. It's just not. And in the Old Testament, we get several moments heading towards the New Testament where God speaks of a remnant of Israel being formed because Israel was generally unfaithful to the covenant that they made with God and God made with them. But God was showing us that a remnant would be formed out of the unfaithfulness. And today, I believe the same thing is happening amongst people who call themselves Christians because there's still a striking number of people who identify as Christian in some form or another. But Christian means a lot of things to a lot of people. It's not something you're born with. It's something you can be born into and grow towards and eventually become. But you don't just inherit Christianity. It doesn't work like that. We have to deal with the problem of sin. The longer that we call this a cultural identity, the longer we're going to miss the actual point. And the longer we will walk in unfaithfulness. I'm not saying that's people in this room. I'm just saying you probably know people in your lives who are like, why are you so faithful to this? Or why are you so committed to the work of Jesus in your church? Like, take a break, take a vacation. But you're like, this is where I get life from. 
this is it. Like, I can go out into the world and be formed by the culture, but instead I'm choosing to be formed by Scripture and by the Holy Spirit. There's not a belief crisis. I, I think, honestly, it's just revealing who really actually cares. These statistics, I don't think it's like Christians leaving the church. I think it's just revealing what's actually true. It's just, honestly, it's a very revealing moment for us. And I'm not, I'm not here to say who's a Christian and who's not. I'm just saying God does hold that power. He's not looking to, like, you know, rain down lightning on us. What he's doing is he wants us to experience life and not death. That's what's at stake here in the present and in the future. So Moses might have accused these religious leaders in the first century, but what's going to accuse us if we're not faithful? Our lukewarm attitude will accuse us. Our busyness, our worship of overwork, our worship of money, our worship of sex will all accuse us. Because those are idols. By themselves, they are not bad things. Work, money, sex, power. They're not bad things by themselves. But when they become the center and the focus of our lives, they're idols. And we believe in idols. Jesus is inviting us to worship and give our attention and focus to the living God who will give us life. So is there, is there a crisis? I don't think so. It's not a crisis. I think it's just revealing of what's already been true. But let me just end with a little bit of encouragement because it might sound like, oh my gosh, doom and gloom, like... Is anybody a Christian? That's, yes, people are Christians. There's a remnant, though. And people don't have to stay in their nominal or I'm just going to say I'm a Christian mentality. You can move from that place. If that's you, you can move from that place. You don't have to stay there. You can be part of this remnant where God is going to start renewing the whole world. That's what the cross did. It brought renewal. It started that. And the resurrection sealed it. And Jesus is on the throne. So you don't have to stay in that position of, I'm kind of lukewarm about my faith. Like, this is your life. Like, it's not Jesus and, it's just Jesus. That's the claim he's making. And you can be a part of that. Just as much as I can, you all can be a part of that. does not matter what your background is. I always, I feel like I mention this every other week, but it doesn't matter what your age, your demographic, your socioeconomic status, it doesn't matter what it is. You don't have to stay in a lukewarm place. And if you are feeling like, I care deeply about my faith and I'm sick of seeing the lukewarm attitude, you're not alone. 
know that you're not alone and that you're not crazy. It's a lonely place to feel like you're giving everything to Jesus and you look around and you see people that are just swayed by the idols of the world. It's a lonely place, but I just want to echo what other people have told me in this church and even in other churches that you're not alone. A remnant isn't just one person, it's a group of people. So even if it feels like the rest of the world has just ignored this beautiful good news of Jesus, know that you're not alone and that we can do something about that by submitting to the faithfulness of Jesus. So I'm going to pray and then I want to send you out and to go into the world and remember that you're a remnant. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the good news of Jesus, for the truth that you've given us to pursue both unity and holiness, to pursue both prayer and action and works, to believe and to put those beliefs into practice. We thank you for your word and the gift of truth and the gift that you've given us in Jesus. I pray this week that for anybody who is just desperately unsure about the Old Testament and the story of Israel, I pray that as they read the Gospel of John, that they would be compelled to go back and reread the Old Testament in light of that. To read backwards. And to realize that this was always headed towards redemption. That the end of the story wasn't conquest. That the end of the story wasn't just sinfulness. But that you decisively acted in Jesus on the cross and in the resurrection. And in that news, we have freedom. I pray this week that anybody who is feeling just trapped by idols, whatever they are, I just pray for freedom. Lord, let Central be a people and a place of freedom. We pray this all in the mighty name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen. So friends, this week, we will go out. Every week we send, we do a sending out. That's what I like to call the closing. It's a sending out. Like I'm not just up here preaching a lecture. Like I'm hoping that you and I together can go out into the world, into our respective workplaces, to our homes, to our neighborhoods, and that we can be the hands and feet of Jesus. That's, that's our job. Like, it's not going to come from anywhere else. That's our job. And it's the best work that you could be called to. It's better than your dream job. I promise. So let's go out into the world and remember that even if we feel alone, being a remnant, that we're not. And even if we feel that, we want to move from a lukewarm faith to an active faith, that that's very possible. It's called discipling. We have to be discipled. So I just invite you to go and do those things. And as always, if you have questions, if you want to know how to dig deeper, 
let's do that conversation together, whether you talk to me or one of our elders. Like the invitation is always there. So don't do this alone. Christianity is not the religion of the individual. It's a relationship with Jesus and his church. So let's go out into the world. Let's sing our doxology. Praise the God we see. Theme for Jesus.